0: Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Our guest today was involved in a serious motorcycle accident in 2002, for which he was not to blame. Since 2006, he has been treating his chronic pain with cannabis. Here to tell us his story is Gunter Weiglen, who is speaking to us from Germany. Gunter, thanks for joining us. I realize it's later in the evening there, and uh, we appreciate it very much. Thank you.
1: Thank you for inviting me to your show. I'm here to
0: answer your questions. Gunter, I want you to take us back to 2002 and tell us about your motorcycle accident and what happened to you.
1: 2002, at that time, I was about hold on, 36, 37 years old. It was a Thursday. Was a th- I, as far as I remember, it was a Thursday evening, 5.30 p.m. My sister called me up and uh asked me to come by and check her car because the car wouldn't start. Um, and I said, yeah, okay. It was uh, well, one of those first nice days. And I said, hey, I want to take my bike, and uh, I'll be there in about 20 minutes. Just a couple of minutes after I left my home, uh, about two miles away, I was um hit by somebody who came from the left a young guy, young dude ran over a stop sign. It happens uh, more often. It didn't just happen to me. It happens a lot of times. And, uh, well, one young man told me afterwards that uh, he didn't see me. It was um, the sun was blinding him, which I believe. I got somebody passed the stop sign and ran over a stop sign and um, knocked me off my bike. You guys over there, you guys over there, listen to me and guys remember them. um German, and I'm—it's um, not my mother's tongue. I'm uh, English is not my mother's uh, language, but I'm trying to uh, do my best to let you know what happened.
0: No, you're doing a, a very you're good doing job. Great. Yeah, yeah. you're doing a very good job. What sort of injuries did you sustain in the accident?
1: Multiple fractures, multiple fractures on my left, on on the left side. I'd say there ain't a bone on on, on the left side of my body that hasn't been broken. I am lucky. I'm lucky and I am very happy to uh, be alive, to be around and uh, to talk to you guys.
0: Now, what sort of pain were you experiencing after the accident?
1: My left leg, my left leg has been um, sh- about two and a half centimeters. I don't know, that, that that's about one, one inch, one inch shorter than the other after the accident. Pain in my back, pain in my left leg, and pain in my left shoulder. But like I numbered it, you know, the first, uh, the, the major pain is in my back. Today, I can't walk any farther than like 200 meters. Then I'd have to stop for a minute and two or two and... Then I go another two hundred meters. Um, it's it's severe pain. I'm living with it. I don't want to complain, you know. Uh, back then in the day when I was in the hospital, there are other guys with other severe problems and I don't know how should I how how, how should I um, prescribe my situation? It's um my life changed within a second. Back then, within a second, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the same body that, I'm, that I had before, um, but uh, with, lots, with lots of pain. And I went through the whole program like all the other patients over here. You know, like everybody else. You know, what, what, what are you going to do? I mean, You're in the hospital, and then you get out of the hospital, and um, and and they do give you the Full program, I'd say. They give you the full program, which means I was fed with chemicals. I was fed with uh, pills, uh, oils, and all kind of stuff that you can get prescribed. But uh, it just made the situation worse.
0: So, were you on a lot of pharmaceutical medications?
1: I was on uh, of almost all of uh, the pharmaceutical stuff that you can get over here in in Europe in order to apply for uh, being able to use uh, a plant, which I'm uh, I'm doing now.
0: Did the pharmaceutical medications help you at all?
1: I would lie if I'd say no. They did help me. The pharmaceutical stuff did help. and, And some of what they had for me helped me just as much as cannabis does right now, but cannabis is the thing that helps me without all the side effects. Whatever I took before from the chemical industry, everything had a side effect. One pill didn't make, uh, wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me have a whole night of sleep. The other ones gave me stomach ache, and the next stuff, you know, made my whatever, you know, did, did my. It hurt my livers it hurt it, it it hurt my it hurt my organs
2: so Gunter before you got on cannabis but after you got out of the hospital and you were on this pharmaceutical medication, how much were you taking and what was an average day like for you
1: the average day when I was on when I was on the usual medication the average day looked like that I you know i have I have a wife I have a kid you know I took them uh, I'm not working. I'm, I'm not working at the moment. I'm a, house, I'm a house man. The average day looked like that uh, when I was taking my prescribed medication in the morning, like 8 a.m. in the morning, I'd take my pills. And if I wanted to watch, if, if I sat sat down on the couch like an hour later, night at 9 a.m. in the morning, I fell asleep. Those pills. That stuff made me go back to sleep, and then I woke up three, four, five hours later, two, three in the afternoon, and the whole day it was it was it was all messed up. It was just a it was just a mess. I couldn't do anything. My family didn't like me. I didn't like
2: myself. I don't
1: know what else to say.
2: Sounds like a pretty poor quality of life.
1: It was absolutely it was absolutely poor, and I was. Uh, that poor quality of life that I had back then also, put, you know, made me kind of dep- depressive. I'm just fine right now, but uh, back then I thought, I oh, mean, shit, man, is is that is that the end? Is that is is that it? Uh, you know. Yeah.
2: Is this all it's going to be? Yeah.
0: How did you uh, discover cannabis?
1: I'm 52 right now, and I. I discovered cannabis, as many of us, um, back 30, 40 years ago, when I, not 40, but, uh, but about 30 years ago when I was in, uh, it's not, uh, we're talking about uh, some kind of substance that has been just invented.
2: When did you first introduce cannabis into um, regime, your daily regime, and, and what got you started on using that for pain instead of the pharmaceuticals?
1: Right. Like I said, I had my experience in my youth. I tried cannabis a couple of times back then. I had I had my time back then. Then after that I got married. I had my family. You know, you you know you you've grown into the system. But I rediscovered cannabis in two thousand six, almost four years after that accident I had in two thousand two. I did the program like everybody else of us does. When there is a situation when you're in danger, you're you're in a you, you you are worried about your life. You you you're worried about what's going to happen. I went. I gave myself into the hands of my home doctor. And uh, if you go and and, and see a doctor to, uh, in Germany, it's hard to find one. It it is very hard to find a doctor over here today who says okay I'm 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 going to listen to you about but if you talking about but if you start talking about cannabis you know you get out of my door and uh it's very hard it is very hard to find to find a doctor who is uh, willing to follow you on your you know on your path uh, with cannabis
0: so how did you start using cannabis for your pain.
1: Back then in 2006, I still used to smoke cigarettes, I was, uh, 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 which means I know I'm talking to Canada. And uh, over there in the U.S. and Canada, you guys over there uh, used, uh, as far as I know, use cannabis um, pure. We're over here in Europe, and uh, everybody over here in Europe uses cannabis uh, with mixed Together with tobacco, which means uh, you you know you're smoking a cigarette with a bit of tobacco, uh, you, you're mixing a cigarette with uh, uh, weed, which I did back then too. That's how I started using it in around with friends. The first joint out uh, it, uh, it was a joint. It was it, it was a joint, a mixture of tobacco and cannabis mixed together and rolled up as a joint. That's how I started out. Two and a half years ago, I had a heart attack, and that got me off the tobacco. So, to answer your question, today I'm using cannabis only with a vaporizer. I'm only, I'm, I'm vaping. I'm, I'm, I'm vaporizing the uh, cannabis for about two and a half years
0: now. When you first uh, tried cannabis after your accident, what did it do to you and your pain?
1: It reduced my pain quickly, very quickly. When I uh, when I first tried cannabis again back then, after like thirty years, I took a tote. A couple of guys together, sitting together on a weekend. It was a Friday evening. I remember the Friday evening sitting in a group. One of those guys told me, "Hey, you know, hit that thing. You know, I heard it. Uh, I heard it's also supposed to be good for uh, uh, pain." I did. I, uh, you know, they passed it over to me. I took a hit. I hit, took a hit, and I did take an, uh, not a not a hit, but I did feel within a minute. That was right after, like having a toe, that joint. Half a minute, a minute later, um, I felt an ease. I felt an ease, uh, an ease off of my muscle. The muscles became more loose and. Yeah. So yeah.
0: you felt a lot better after the cannabis than you did taking the pharmaceutical medications.
1: Definitely, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. I felt, I felt, I, I had less pain. I had about, I'd say, about 75%, three quarters after pain. went. it didn't, I don't want to call it a wonder drug, you know, I, I can't say that. I mean, <laughs> the pain didn't go away at all. But when I use cannabis, when I use cannabis, it takes about 75% of the pain away. The rest of the 25, what, 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 what's, what's left, 25% that left, I can live with that. I can live with that, and I love to live with it because I don't have any side effects, you know?
0: Gunter, when you say you vape the cannabis, use vaporizer, how often do you do that during the day?
1: I do have a driver's license over here in Germany and I would uh, I'd love to vape in the morning too because the pain is in the morning here too. It builds up to, my pain builds up during the day. I don't have any time without pain, I would say, which means the pain is there, it's, it's, it's here all the time. I have to live with it. What you know, what can I say? I have to uh, going to church doesn't help. Burn up a candle and train to, I don't know, know who didn't, didn't do any good so far. <laughs> so I have to live with it. This is, this is my life that I have to handle. It would be great if I could use it in the morning also, but I do not because I do have a driver's license over here. I'm still able to operate a car.
0: It's 9.30 at night there. You've gone through the day. How do you feel right now?
1: Today, I, I'm, man, I'm worn. I'm worn out today because this. I, I, I was in Berlin. I was in Berlin the last three days, and we were, we were recording video clips for like ten hours a day. For uh, I left my family. I left my wife and son on, to go up to Berlin. It's a five-hour drive up there. I'm worn and torn at the, right now. Tell you the truth.
0: Now, Gunter, where do you get your cannabis? I'm able to purchase a hundred, 112 grams per every four
1: weeks. Four weeks means every 28 days, I'm allowed to buy 112 grams. Uh, the prices, the, the, the prices are so high over here. It's about almost three times, almost between double and three times as much as uh, if I get my weed on the street. Which I do, which I do.
2: So how much do you think that it's costing you or has cost you up till now to um, have cannabis if, for, for, say, a month? For one month, what would it cost you, just average?
1: If I would purchase the allowed or the, the amount that my uh, doctor prescribed me, if I would purchase that cannabis out of... Uh, My drugstore, it would cost me about 1,800 euros per month. Wow, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. If I'd be able to grow that amount for myself, it would cost me about 60
0: a month. 60 euros compared to 1,800.
1: Growing my own medicine... Watching my own medicine grow, and then at the end, waking up my own medicine, um, that's therapy. That's that. That's my therapy.
0: In Germany, is there more interest in recreational marijuana than there is in medical marijuana?
1: Yes. Patients like me were only around for a couple of years now, which has started to pop up, and um, Germany started handing out permits to purchase cannabis from pharmacy in two thousand and nine and uh for me, there ain't no recreational use it's all medical I and mean, um whoever uses cannabis is using it for a purpose for some to do you know to do some good you don't have to be hit by a motorcycle uh, <laughs> to be able to use if you use it you are, you want you want something uh, you want something um, positive and not negative arguments the people who have any negative uh, experiences after using pot they leave their fingers off and the ones who have their positive benefits they stick with it because you can't overdose you can't kill yourself it's something very much less harmful than alcohol nicotine and a lot of other things it is an option to what we have already Man, i'm 52 i'm 52 years old and i want to see i want to see this shit legalized and i want i, wa- I want to see that stuff in the position where it was before. We two or we three, we're sitting here talking about a uh, uh, we're talking about a plant. We're talking about a plant that's been around all the time, and it's, all, and it's only being legalized for profit for 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 the profit of uh, a few. And that's not uh, that's not what's uh, supposed to be in our capitalist
2: society.
0: Gunter was uh, very kind of you to uh, do this tonight. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Gunter.
0: Hey, thank you so much for hearing your voice again, Corey. Yeah, <laughs> I, hope so to, I hope I hope to meet you, me. you again soon. Okay, in the second segment of this program, we're going to move from pain to cancer and the effects of chemotherapy. Uh, which has been discussed many times in this program, I want to read to you an article that was on the website preventdisease.com. It's about the failure of chemotherapy. That's the title, and it says, As more patients abstain from the treatment, more survive. It goes on to say, Cancer cases have increased by more than 30% in the last decade, and half of all those cases globally are ending up in deaths, according to a new report from the Global Burden of Disease Cancer Collaboration, published online by the Journal of the American Medical Association, Oncology. Moreover, the overall contribution of cytotoxic chemotherapy to five-year survival in adults is below 3%. Cancers figure among the leading causes of morbidity and mortality worldwide. Between 2005 and 2015, cancer cases increased by 33%, and the number of new cases is expected to rise by about 70% over the next two decades under the current global disease-promoting paradigm. Now, other key findings of this report were, globally, the odds of developing cancer during a lifetime were 1 in 3 for men and 1 in 4 for women. Prostate cancer was the most common cancer globally in men, 1.6 million cases. Tracheal, bronchus, and lung cancer was the leading cause of cancer deaths for men. Breast cancer was among the most common cancer for women, 2.4 million cases, and the leading cause of cancer deaths in women. The most common childhood cancers were leukemia, other neuroplasms, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and brain and nervous system cancers. Now, why chemotherapy makes cancer worse? A 14-year study published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in December of 2004 called The Contribution of Cytotoxic Chemotherapy to a Five-Year Survival in Adult Malignancies showed that the overall contribution of curative and adjuvant cytotoxic chemotherapy to five-year survival in adults was estimated at just over 2% in Australia and 2.1% in the United States. Oncologists recommend cytotoxic chemotherapy for most patients for the palliation of symptoms and to improve quality of life. It aims at improving survival, but none of this has materialized as truth for the cancer industry since the inception of the treatment and despite the use of new and expensive single and combination drugs to improve response rates and other agents to allow for dose escalation there has been no change for the regimens used the largest majority of patients who undergo chemotherapy and make it to the 5 year mark and never actually they're never actually cancer free most statistics simply highlight that patients are still alive at the 5 year mark most still had cancer And many died of cancer later. Those who do survive have a significantly depreciated quality of life. This has come at an enormous cost to our elders, for they are suffering with more pain and greater disability than ever before in the last 15 years. Now, I want to play for you a clip of Dr. Peter Glidden. He's a naturopathic doctor in the United States. And this was an interview he did a number of years ago on the program iHealthTube.com.
3: Cancer still is such a big issue in this country. Why is that the case, and why are people still getting it at an alarming rate? Because we've taken the wrong dog to the hunt. And it's illegal in the United States for anybody but an MD to treat cancer. And the MDs who go outside of the box, like there's a doctor in Texas, his name is Brzezinski. He has a very unique way of treating brain cancer. And I don't know how many times he's had to go to court to defend himself, right? Which is why there are no alternative, quote-unquote, cancer treatment centers in the United States anymore. They're all in Mexico or Sweden or wherever, because in the U.S. you can't treat cancer unless you're an MD, And that's a problem. And so we've taken the wrong dog to the hunt. Now remember, right, from the proper perspective, everything makes sense. Your medical doctor doesn't know what's best for you. They only know what they've been trained in. And in this case, they've been trained in allopathic reductionism. Allopathic reductionism doesn't care about the causative factor of disease. So MDs, bless their hearts, don't even know how to cure heartburn. They can't cure it. They can manage it. To the profession that does not even know how to cure heartburn, we have given $600 billion to come up with a cure for cancer. Gee, I wonder why we aren't any closer to a cure for cancer than we were when Richard Nixon declared a war on cancer, right? It's because the tumor is not the disease. It's the, it's the result of the disease, But the MD sees it as the disease. They're taking completely, 100% the wrong approach towards it. So much so that years ago, I think it was 10 years ago, don't quote me on that, the American Cancer Society stopped using the word cure. Now it's a five-year survivability. So as far as the American Cancer Society is concerned, if you're diagnosed with cancer and you get conventional treatment, chemo, radiation surgery, and you live for five years and one day and then die from cancer, it's considered a successful treatment. And it goes into the statistical record books as a positive outcome. Cancer treatment is so bad, our outcomes are so unbelievably bad, that the American Cancer Society had to move the goalposts and they stopped talking about a cure Now, it's five-year survivability. And everybody in the United States buys it hook, line, and sinker. There was a famous study done in 2004, right? The American Journal of Clinical Oncology. They collected, I think, 11 years of data, right? And they looked at adults who had developed cancer and were treated with chemotherapy. And what they found and published in the American Journal of Clinical Oncology... 97% 97% of the time chemotherapy doesn't work. It doesn't work. So if the MD medical community is all about research and double blind this and double blind that and you know let's prove it why is chemotherapy still being rolled out? Because it's been proven to be ineffective, doesn't work. So why on earth do they do it? Because it's a gigantic money maker. It's gigantic money. It's gigantic money. And it's a problem because, you know, we don't have a free medical market. And when you're the king, you can do whatever you want. And so cancer treatment fails, cancer treatment fails, cancer treatment fails, cancer treatment fails, cancer treatment fails. And we keep going back to the MDs because we don't have any other option. And quite frankly, when you've been pinned with a definitive diagnosis of cancer, you're afraid for your life. Yeah. Your medical doctor could tell you to jump off the roof of the hospital and it's going kind to of part of the treatment and most people would do it. And it's a problem. And also, because the medical industry is an industry, right, and it's involved with money and finances and profit, most of the time the oncologist doesn't inform the patient 100% about what's going to happen. They tell the patient what to do. They don't have a conversation with the patient about what they're going to do. They order the patient, well, sorry, Mr. Smith, you've come back with a definitive diagnosis of prostate cancer. I have you scheduled for surgery on Wednesday. You're lucky there was an opening. And then we're going to start you on chemotherapy a week later. Go see the nurse and she'll schedule it. They don't have a conversation. I wrote a book called The MD Emperor Has No Clothes. Right, You can buy it through my website, drglidden.com. Get it from Amazon.com. Download it right to your Kindle or your computer. In my book, I have 10 questions that every cancer patient needs to ask their oncologist in the presence of a recording device and a witness. 10 simple questions to be politely asked. Doctor, I've just been diagnosed with such and such a type of cancer. Does the therapy that you're recommending, I get on board with Cure My Cancer? Does it cure my cancer? What causes my cancer? If the treatment you're recommending does not cure my cancer, what can I expect? What side effects from the cancer treatment can I expect? Can the cancer treatment give me cancer? How are you going to manage the side effects of the treatment if they happen? What's going to happen to the quality of my life while I'm undergoing this treatment. And how much are you going to profit from this treatment? How much is the hospital going to profit from this treatment? And I'd like to talk to five of your patients in my same demographic who have had the same type of cancer, who've had the same treatment that you're recommending to see how they're doing. I think there might be a couple of more questions, but you get my drift. These are just simple, common sense questions that you would think the doctor would be forthcoming with. If the doctor became involved with medicine to actually help people, but they don't. Now the oncologist knows that their therapy has limited chances of success. The oncologist knows what side effect it's going to create. The oncologist knows everything. But the oncologist also is of the belief, the fundamental philosophical belief, that you are screwed You've got cancer, Jack, and there ain't no going back. So even though this therapy is only one half of 1% successful, you better have just shut up and take your medicine because there's nothing else for you to do. What are you going to do, a coffee enema? There's nothing else for you to do. So I know it's not a perfect world. I know it's not a perfect therapy, but it's all we've got. And you just need to do it because I'm the doctor and I said so. It's a problem, and nobody's addressing it, and everybody needs to.
0: That was Dr. Peter Glidden, who's based in the United States. And for some other quotes from doctors who have similar opinions to Dr. Glidden's, according to Dr. John Diamond, he said, a study of over 10,000 patients shows that clearly chemo's supposedly strong track record with Hodgkin's disease is actually a lie. Patients who underwent chemo were 14 times more likely to develop leukemia and six times more likely to develop cancers of the bones, joints, and soft tissues than those patients who did not undergo chemotherapy. Dr. Glenn Warner, who died in 2000, was one of the most highly qualified cancer specialists in the United States. He used alternative treatments on his cancer patients with great success. On the conventional treatment of cancer, he said, we have a multi-billion dollar industry that is killing people right and left just for financial gain. Their idea of research is to see whether two doses of this poison is better than three doses of that poison. Dr. Alan Nixon, past president of the American Chemical Society, writes, As a chemist trained to interpret data, it is incomprehensible to me that physicians can ignore the clear evidence that chemotherapy does much, much more harm than than good. And according to Dr. Charles Mathay, French cancer specialist, if I contracted cancer, I would never go to a standard cancer treatment center. Only cancer victims who live far away from such centers have a chance. And in his book, The Topic of Cancer, When Killing Has to Stop, Dick Richard cites a number of autopsy studies which show that cancer patients actually died from conventional treatments before the tumor had a chance to kill them. And there you go. That's another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
1: by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of cannabis podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.